again, thankful that everybody seemed to have a good Christmas. I, I know for some it was probably a little difficult, um, and little might be, uh, might be probably not the right word to use, but your, my prayers are, are with you, elders praying for you, uh, and just thankful for this time of year. Um, as tough as it can be sometimes, there's a lot of joy in the fact that Christ came once so that he could come again. And uh, that's something we should eagerly look forward to and, and, and so wonderfully expect, especially when life doesn't seem to match up to everything we think it ought to be. That's the one thing that we can really hold to, that nobody else that, in this world that, that doesn't have Jesus, it can't, you know, nobody can hope for except they have him, that he is coming again. And uh, that's, that's a great praise. And uh, before we get started this morning, I heard, a, <clears throat> I heard a joke this week that I really want to share with you. I've been like busting at the seams. Can't, can't wait. There was a boy who went to his uh, mother, as all children tend to ask, and, and uh, at some point in time, and parents cringe, but, but she asked, uh, or he asked, Mom, where did we come from? How did we get here? And his mother just looked at him and said, well, honey, the Bible tells us that God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve had children who had children who had children who had children who had, had me and your dad who had you. And he was satisfied with that answer. He went, oh, okay, walked away. Well, he wanted to go, though, and ask his dad, see what he thought and what he said. And so he went up to his dad, and he said, Dad, where did we come from? How did we get here? And his dad came back and said, well, son, science tells us that after millions of years of evolution that we came from apes, monkeys, and gorillas. That's where you can trace your family line back to. We evolved from them. And the son kind of puzzled, went, okay. Two totally different contradictory stories. And so he went to his mom, who he went to first, and said, Mom, you said we came, God made us, and we came from Adam and Eve, and I came from you and Dad, and that's how you say it is. But Dad says that over millions of years we evolved from apes, monkeys, and gorillas, and that's where we can trace our family line to. And she said, Son, that's absolutely right. That is where your dad traces his family line back to. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Oh, my goodness. We're going to be talking about distractions as we go into this new year, some of the things that might distract us from uh, seeing God uh, in, in the days that are still yet ahead of us. But before we do that, let us pray now so that God may clear us of distractions. Father, thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be here, to gather and to worship in your name for your sake, Lord. We, we come here because of you. If it wasn't for you and if it wasn't for your son, that willingly came when you asked him to come, Father, we would have nothing. Father, we would just be people. We probably wouldn't even really know that each other very well, uh, Father, outside of some family relations. You know, we come together because of Jesus, and we're so thankful for the season that we, were, that we have been in and that we are coming out of, not forgetting why Christ came, but Lord, as Christmas passes and Easter is, is quickly approaching, Father, help remind us that, that he had to come so he could give his life, that he might rise again so that we could be made new in him, Lord, for you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And it's because of him and because of what he's done and the great mercy that you have shown through Jesus and the grace that is afforded to us that, that we come to this, this word that you have instilled throughout time for those who choose to believe and seek your truth. We come to it. Lord, even though it's many, it's its newest parts, two thousand something years old, around about. Lord, other parts that are even older, 
for thousands of years. We still come to it knowing that it is fresh and it is new today as it ever has been or ever will be. Lord, it is just as applicable, and and because of that, we come seeking its truths for our everyday living. Uh, Help us to see, Lord, what you would have us to see, not what I think should be presented, but, Lord, what your Spirit thinks that we we should know and what we should have for our lives today. May he speak to us individually in our deepest heart of hearts that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing to you, O Lord. It might be yours that that us as a congregation, that we can be blessed together because of the word that has been brought forth. Father, just let us be comforted where we need to be comforted and convicted where we need to be convicted, that we might fall in greater line with you in our life, that it might not only be a blessing to us, but that, Lord, it might be a blessing to you. We want to be a blessing, Father, to your heart, all because of what Jesus did for us on that cross so many years ago, and even coming in the first place in that manger where he was laid. We thank you, Lord, and give you grateful praise in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them with me, please, to Psalm chapter 85. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look in a bulletin, you can grab a pew Bible, or you can conveniently look up on the screen. It is in many multimedia formats for you this morning. Bless you. You're welcome. Psalm chapter 85, we're looking at this morning. We'll begin with verse 1 and read to the end of the chapter. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what the Lord God says. He promises peace to all His People, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory might dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. (laughs) In between events on Christmas Day, I did as many people do, and that scanned through Facebook. You know, when you got a free moment, you might as well do that and see what everybody else is is doing. And I I was glad. I I love doing it on Christmas because you just get to see what everybody everybody else is involved in and all the fun that they are having. And I noticed this picture uh, that's up on the screen. And uh, I, I know these people quite well. And there's a wonderful man and his daughter in this picture. I've respected him uh, since I was uh, just a little fella at the church I went to, New Hope Christian Church, growing up. But I bring this picture up, not nearly because of them, but because of the first thing I noticed in the picture before I ever noticed them. When I scrolled across it, the people in the picture was not the first thing I noticed. Does anybody else see anything that stands out to you? In this picture, 
all the massive amounts of gifts, not just under the tree, beside the tree, behind the tree. There are a ton of gifts surrounding this tree. There was a lot of people in that house, but I've never seen that many gifts under a tree. And I'm being serious, I have never seen that. I saw this Christmas Day, I thought to myself, what an incredible amount of gifts. And I just want to say it's great. I think it is absolutely wonderful that they had the opportunity to have so much family there and exchange so many gifts and that it wasn't just a whole bunch of gift cards. I mean, I'm going to confess that's what I give for Christmas. I, I, unless there's something that just stands out and you say, boy, that's them. I bought one gift like that this year. And uh, I bought one gift that I thought, man, that's them. Everybody else got a gift card. And uh, just, just because I, I didn't really want to get something wrong, I wanted them to get something that they, they could use. And so, again, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful that they had this many gifts underneath the tree. And, and my, my thought process is in that, is, is that though there may have been much joy and peace on earth that day as they are surrounded by family and opening presents, the process that begins at thinking about and asking somebody what they want to the point in time to which the present actually gets under the tree is chaos, right? I mean, have you ever tried to go shopping around Christmas because nobody's going to get Christmas presents before December, right? There are some of you all feel like you shouldn't even put a decoration up and, and so you don't do any Christmas shopping until after December has started. I, I don't, I, I mean, I like putting Christmas decorations up beforehand, but I'm just lazy. I don't want to start shopping until I absolutely have to. You know, that, that's, just, that's just the way it is. And so the process of getting those gifts, knowing how most of us are waiting until the last minute, that was pure and utter chaos for most every single one of those gifts that's under those trees. And from a distance, that picture looks really nice, right? But when you get up to it and you look at some of the wrapping paper maybe, because most of those gifts were, you know, surrounded by wrapping paper, that I don't know if it was just as, as joyous as, as we'd like to think it is sometimes on, on, on Christmas morning. You know, the angels declared that there be peace on earth, goodwill to men on the very first Christmas. And then in Christmases prior, especially now, the angels again declared peace on earth, good, goodwill to men, and man declared game on for how complicated we could make the simplest of message. God's salvation that has come through Christ. And I, I am just as bad as anybody else. As much as I love Christmas, it's, it's kind of stressful. I think that's one reason why I was sick this year at Christmas Eve. Because it's sort of a, a stressful time. But you know, it doesn't seem like it's just like this in Christmas. I mean, we see it exhibited, I think, a lot in this particular time of year. But, but I, I think we sort of find a lot of chaos in many of the things that we tend to do in just about all of life. The things that tend to make our lives simpler or so we have been told, so we have even said ourselves, are sometimes the very things that begin to consume our schedules and, and take up a lot of our time. For example, what in the world did we used to do with our time before TVs? What did we used to do with our time before the Internet? What did we used to do with our time before cell phones? And we can't imagine our life without them, but I can't imagine what life would have been like at all. I mean, it, it's just so present in our, in our minds. You know, how, how, how could life be? You go to Amish country and you walk away from there thinking, you know, I could get used to this. But these are not the only things that tend to complicate our life. And these, again, are not are bad things. They're not bad things. And, and, and 
Work is not a bad thing either. Sports is not a bad thing. Music is not a bad thing. And kids, they're not a bad thing either. But what do all of these things have in common? Stress, noise, distractions. Again, not on their own, isolated. They're not too bad when you can seem to handle one thing or another because that's how it starts. We, we, we think, I can do this and I add something else. I can do this and I add something else. But what they have in common is, is when they are combined, they tend to create a lot of noise in our life. That sadly, I know I can say in mine, and I don't have kids, and I can already say I'm busy. Sometimes all these things can begin to drown out the voice of God in our life. We can do so many things and become so busy that we have to begin to prioritize in our own hearts and minds, don't we? Now, sometimes we do this realistically, and we write it down and kind of figure it out, sit there and think about what's most important to me. Most of the time, it's just an inherent sense within us that, that takes place in the same area as multitasking, and we multitask the idea of prioritizing. How should I prioritize? And I'm going to think about that while I do this other thing. You know, we are so distracted in our life, and, and my question is not just to all of you all, but to me, myself, especially going into a new year, where is God in the priorities of our lives? Seriously. I think every now and again, we need to reassess. And the beginning of a new year is kind of a natural place to do it. Where is God in the priority of our lives? Now, you may do well in moments of personal devotion, and, and you might do well in highly prioritizing the spot that you give God in and around and make Him part of your day. But you would not be the first, though, to consider maybe something in my life needs to change. Maybe God is not as important as, as He should be. And I know I, I ask myself that all the time. You sort of get out in life a little bit and you start asking, where is God? Well, God never left. We're the ones that walked away. He's the same place He always has been. He always will be waiting on us to come back. Again, if, if he's not in the central part of our life, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty, though I think we should. It's not my goal. That's why there's a whole, like, 20 minutes left of explaining how we can get God back to where he belongs. I don't want us to just get focused and depressed on the fact that maybe he's not exactly where we think he should be. But thinking about how we can get him back, and especially why. We're going to talk about how God comes back into our life when He has been distant. But today, I want to talk to you about why. Why He should be in the priority of our life. And I want to start with this scripture. I think that reminds us who God is. The scriptures ask us, who can understand the human heart? There is nothing else so deceitful. It is too sick to be healed. I, the Lord, search the minds and test the hearts of people. I treat each of them according to the way that they live, according to what they do. I quote this to remind us all that, that the laws and the commands that the admonishment of scriptures are given to us in our best interest. 
everything that we read in Scripture, all the stories that we see of people who have served faithfully and those who have not, every bit of it, as Paul tells Timothy, is useful for teaching, is useful for the practical application of our lives. All of Scripture is given to us for our best interest. And I want to remind us of, of this also, this great truth that comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. What has been will be again. And what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I want to remind us, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I read these passages because what has been done, as the Scripture says, in life, not just in ours, but in human history, will be repeated. It will be done again. And so because there is nothing new under the sun, because God's Word is living just as much as He is, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we should heed every word of the Scriptures and heed it in reverence that even though they were spoken in the past, it still has relevance for our future. And it just doesn't have relevance for us. It needs to be passed down to our children. It needs to be passed down to our children's children and their children and their children after them. We need to pass down the importance of the Word of God, but not just say you need to know it, but teach them about it. Show them that we know it. Not just you know it, but we know it. Because I have just as much responsibility to the people of the world, even though I don't have children. And it doesn't just end with you all. My responsibility is to anyone God puts in my path. And your responsibility is exactly the same. We are responsible to show people that God's Word is just as alive now as it ever has been or it ever will be. And I think, in fact, it increases with fervency as time goes on and as, as, as revelation becomes to draw itself near to us. The Bible is increasingly more and more important in the days, it said, where many will believe, but many more will not. Church, that being said, I want to look at the people of old. I want to look for a moment at those who we read about in the annals of the Old Testament. That after God saved His people from bondage and captivity in Egypt, we find this again in the book of, of Exodus that leads into the books of Deuteronomy and, and Numbers, that God promised that He would lead these people from Egypt from their captivity to a land full of blessing where there would be lush gardens that they did not plant, beautiful vineyards that they did not tend, and houses that they did not build. And then after they had found themselves settled there for a while, and they began to do a bit of building themselves, they would find that there is still a lot of blessing in the fact that they were able to do it even on their own. That they had these gifts and abilities that caused them to provide for themselves. And in the midst of all these blessings, in the midst of all this good stuff going on, and all that they've been given, God just simply asks, and Moses reminds them, do not forget God. I heard somebody say one time that it's much easier to serve God in suffering than it is to serve Him in success. I think that's so true. I find myself closer to God when I'm in the midst of terrible strife 
and suffering. And though I don't like those times, I wouldn't want to go back, I wouldn't trade the closeness that I gained from the Lord in that time for anything. Because I had to call out to Him. I had to rely upon Him because I could not do it myself. In the midst of success, we tend, if it's not properly placed, to honor ourselves rather than honor God. And Moses reminded the people, please do not forget about God who afforded you this opportunity to begin with. Essentially, everything that God was giving them, this promised land represented the best of life. When everything is going well and could not be any better. And God knew for them, as well as He does for us, it's that in these moments, it will be critically important to maintain their devotion to the Lord as well as us today, lest they and we forget Him. I want you to listen to these words of Moses to the people that he was speaking to before they entered the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. You don't have to turn if you don't like. You you can look up here on the screen as I read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 10 and reading through verse 18. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of your slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land when its venomous snakes and scorpions came after you. He brought you water out of a hard rock and He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something that your ancestors had had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. Again, these words are given to people that needed to hear them. God had promised a blessed land for His people. He had promised to give it to them. And the land that is spoken of in this passage in Deuteronomy is that same land, the land that they are preparing to set foot in. But yet there was once a time that this promise of this great land and these great blessings was still a bit far off. But what we have to remember about God is even though it's a promise that seems far off, It seems like it may never get fulfilled. If God has made that promise, guess what? God is going to keep it. There may be some waiting and there may be a little agony as we wait upon the Lord, but what did we listen to in that passage? He did this to test you? To help show us, to teach us how faithful He is even in the midst of trial and pain, testing, and strife. We don't like it, but God uses it for our benefit. And if we hang on with Him, are we not stronger because of it? Do we not trust God more because of it, church? I don't like testing. I don't want you to go through it. I don't want to go through it. I wouldn't wish it upon nobody. 
But I tell you, coming from the other side of it, boy, it's good. And just like God did for Job, he has a way of, of giving us an increase, blessing us with double, that despite all you've been through, I'm not just going to restore you. I'm going to give you more than what you had before. Our God has a way of just blessing his children, but we have to remain faithful to the God who is faithful to us. Again, this promise at one time, though, that's about to be fulfilled, there was a group of people about 40 years before this who just could not wait for that promise to be fulfilled. They heard God's promise. Moses reminded them of it, but it was still far off. And it would happen that some people would give up waiting on God, that the promise just wasn't as near as they had hoped for. In fact, a man named Korah and his family, again, about 250, led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, who were God's appointed leaders of the Israelites in that time, in which they came to Moses and leveled a complaint. And not just a complaint, they leveled accusations against Moses that he was not serving God, but instead he was serving his own best interest. What he thought was best for Moses. Now, listen to their complaint that we find in the Scriptures. They say, It is a small thing that you have, been brought, uh, that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey. Mind you that they're talking about Egypt, the place where God heard their cries in the very beginning of the book of Exodus. God heard their cries and sought to deliver them. They're crying to go back to a land of milk and honey where they were in slavery and bondage. Again, glorifying the past even though it was terrible. They complained and said, You brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also now make yourself a prince over us. Not just bring us out to die, but now you want to elevate yourself over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. I want you all to see something that's wonderful in Moses. He was a great leader. Any leader, anybody who's in leadership position should take, should take great claim to what he does in this passage. When a terrible, a terrible accusation was leveled against him that he was not serving God, but he was serving himself. Instead of trying to refute these claims to make a large spectacle, and though he deserved to do it, Moses simply stated, this is what they would do. This is his own words. In the morning... The Lord will show us who is His and who is holy and will bring Him near to Him. The one whom He chooses, He will bring near to Him. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord God has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up and all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol or the place of the dead as it is properly translated, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. Instead of making a great spectacle of the whole situation, instead of claiming what was rightfully his and telling the truth, Moses simply laid it at the Lord's feet. He laid out his sheet, as we like to say sometimes, and let the Lord handle it. 
to show who was right and who was wrong. And listen to the very next verse that follows these, right after Moses, after he said, this is what God is going to do if it's the case. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. I spare you the details, but you get the picture. It was very clearly evident who was of God and who was not. Listen to how history, literally the historical books, uh, when, when they go back to, to trace their family lineage and their line to find where they are from, this is what the book of Numbers records about Korah's family. The sons of Palu and Elab and the sons of Nemuel, Dathan and Arabim. The same Dathan and Arabim were the, commu- were the community officials who rebelled against Moses and Aaron who were among Korah's followers when they rebelled against the Lord. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured the 250 men, and they served as a warning sign. But listen to this. The line of Korah, however, did not die out. How would you like that to be remembered about your family? When somebody talks about your family, that's what they mention. But it stood as a warning sign. But that last verse, the line of Korah, however, did not die out. That last verse is critically important because that warning sign, that warning sign again to not forget the Lord and trust Him, to not be distracted by what we want or what we think is best, but by trusting God's promise, that warning sign lives on in the 85th Psalm that we have read this morning because it is a psalm that was written by none other than the sons of Korah. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? That day the sons of Korah survived, but because of the sins of their fathers, they were made orphaned. And even though God made provisions for orphans in His law, found in the book of Deuteronomy, there are still great losses that happen when children lose parents, when they become fatherless and motherless. But yet, even in this, God made good out of this bad. Korah and those who rebelled against God and Moses and Aaron were all Levites, mind you. They were priests and workers in God's temple. They were those who were called in service to God. They would be considered the modern-day preachers. The modern day ministers, these are the people who rebelled against Moses who was God's servant so they indirectly but yet still very much directly rebelled against God. How terrible that those who are considered to be the closest to God can fall so hard, so fast. But yet the good in all this is how Korah's children, his family lineage never forgot what happened. God did not remove the priesthood from them. He did not take for them the right and the ability and the duty to serve in God's temple. No, they turned this tragedy into a positive when they wrote for the people of God, do not do what we have done. They begged God for forgiveness. They show today that don't be angry because something happened that that you didn't think ought to happen. Trust God and even though it was bad, He'll make good out of it. This tragedy was used as a springboard to inspire faithfulness in the lives of those who read this passage 
and serve the Lord. And today, that same faithfulness is still to be inspired in us. How blessed are we that we can serve God without risk of repeat of the same or similar crimes as those of the past. But yet are we heeding these words? They've been given, written, provision has been made for us to follow God faithfully, but are we heeding these words? Are we reading these words? Are we even aware at times that God's word exists and has something to say about our life? Are we coming to God? Are we prioritizing Him? Church, Korah's rebellion took place because they got distracted from what God willed over what they wanted. That is basically what happened. The long and short of it. They got distracted. They wanted to be in the promised land yesterday, but they felt that Moses was standing in the way. But what God, what God wanted was so much better. And it was what they needed, and it was certainly worth waiting for. But for their actions, not only did they pay the price, but again, their children paid the price. We are not the only ones affected by our sin, church. The people around us and closest to us always, always suffer. Here again, the cries of Korah's sons, his children in verses 4 through 7 again. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Still crying out years later, generations later, and pleading that they stay close to the Lord. Church, here's the truth. Here's the why we need to be with God every day. When we take our eyes off Jesus and when we give in to all the distractions that life affords, when we live in Satan's chaos rather than God's peace, and when we can hear nothing other than noise, we are setting ourselves up for disaster. And everyone else around us not may but will suffer. Like Korah, I want you to hear this. And this is just as convicting for me as it is for anyone else. This is the truth and I need to tell you it. Just like Korah, just being in God's house is not enough to draw you close to God. He was a priest. His family, the people that were, the men that were with them, they were priests. They were in God's house, not just once a week. They were in there every day. That was their service to God was to serve Him in His temple. They were in God's house every single day. In fact, they were around God's very presence in the form of the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies was just behind it. They were around God's presence every single day. But being there, even every day, was not enough to draw them close to God. So why do we feel or anyone else feel like going to church every Sunday or every now and then is going to save us from distraction? Why do we feel like just every now and again or every Sunday even is just enough? I need to tell us, church, and I'm reminding myself too, it's not. It's not. We will eventually suffer 
from our distractions. They will grab a hold of us. Because we started serving them instead of serving God. And I need to tell you, church, even I have found, not that I'm saying this is what we should aspire for, but even a little bit of God every day goes a long way. Any intentional amount of time to put God in our day goes an extremely long way. Going into 2020, may I offer this bit of advice that we might make this resolution straight from the scriptures as it was read this morning. May we say this together, verse 8. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to His people, His faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Do we know what folly is? It's distraction. It's distraction. What folly is in our life. May we pray that prayer. And I love that you prayed it with me. I didn't expect it. It was wonderful. May that prayer be on our lips and in our hearts as we go into 2020. Church, we need God every day in our everyday lives. We need Him in our families. We need Him in our workplaces. We need Him in our country. And we need Him in our world. We need to climb above distraction with God's help in our lives. We need to climb above the noise and the chaos so that this scripture might come to pass in us. Verse 9, Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him that His glory might dwell in our land. We need God in our land. Church, we need Him most importantly in our homes. We need Him in our lives. May we have this prayer on our lips as we go into 2020. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for bringing us here today and giving us this opportunity to worship together, to bring grateful praise to you for what you've done, Lord, and what you've still yet to do. But Father, I feel like, even in my own heart and life, that you want to do so much more if I would just let you. There's probably a lot of other people in this room who feel the same way. Maybe even just a few. But Lord, for anybody who has this prayer on their lips as they go into 2020. And I think all of us should, Lord. We should always seek to draw closer to you. But Lord, especially in places where your presence might be non-existent on an everyday basis. Lord, may we place you in greater priority. You showed us why. Because we're so easily distracted. And though you may not open up a pit in the ground and us fall in like then, praise your name, you hadn't done that since. I still know, Lord, that there is much destruction that comes as a result of sin. As you said, that it would be better for a millstone to be tied around our neck than cause little children to go astray. Lord, it's still there. The consequences of sin are always there. Or the consequence of not being in your presence is devastating. Not knowing you and feeling you every day is devastating. Not just for us, but for those who we're closest to. Families, co-workers, church members who surround us, the people we worship with. Or it affects everybody. And Lord, we're not perfect. 
we're never going to be free from every distraction. But Lord, help us to be free from many of them. More and more as our life goes on. As we seek to give things to you that once held our attention so fixed. That we might be as Paul, fixing our gaze upon you. Straining and striving after you, Lord. May that be our fervent prayer. Lord, let us not keep stupid resolutions that we know we're not going to keep this year. Lord, let's, let's make one that's worthwhile and ask for your help to do it. One that draws us closer to you. I pray that for myself, anybody else who needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're all in the same boat together, folks. We all struggle with the distractions and the noise of life. As time goes on, God draws us closer to himself. Let, let him. Let's let him. Let's let God pull us into himself in this new year more than we did in the last. I know it's just a turn of a calendar. We're not going to feel anything personally, physically. Nothing's necessarily going to change overnight. But what should change overnight is our, our desire to, to want to put God where he deserves and belongs. If this is something that you feel like you need to do, I pray that you'll do it today. I pray that you won't wait until the ball drops, if we even have that much time left, for none of us are granted tomorrow. Our life is but a fog, James tells us. We're here today, and then we're gone tomorrow. There's a fog that'll be gone tomorrow. Might even be gone this afternoon, you never know. Church, let us commit to serve God more faithfully now, and not wait. You can do that where you stand or where you sit in just a moment or even begin now. Love for you to come up to the altar and rededicate your life and service in this new year and, and prior days to God. Go into the prayer room if you need to escape to a quiet place to, to just hear God speak to you. Be still and know that He is God now despite all the noise. Whatever you need to do, begin to come close to the Lord because He is wanting to come close to you. Scriptures tell us that. He is as near as we would have him to be. If you're going through some kind of difficult or hard, uh, difficult or, or troublesome hardship in your life, I pray that you'll come and you'll lay that down before the Lord. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let him take it from you today. If you're praying for somebody else, let God take that too. My favorite passage in all of Scripture is the four men who laid the paralyzed man before Jesus who never said a word, but he healed him because of the other people's faith. Let God do that today. Oh, Lord, let him do that today. If you need to give him your life, don't wait any longer. Give it to the Lord. Let Jesus cleanse you and wash you from your sins. May you say today that I am a newborn believer because I have given him my life and my all. Start searching and seeking after his salvation today. Whatever you need to do, God's talking to you, surely talk to him as we stand together and we sing.